Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. There we have it. All right, starting off, one of the biggest business stories this week, uh, the stock market crash. Numbers did not go up. It was not like the the third-year projections for all startups where you get the crazy hockey stick. It's smashing down to the ground. Uh, since the beginning of the April, the markets have been trending down, and obviously in the last couple of weeks, not looking too good. And a whole bunch of investors everywhere getting a little bit nervous. Uh, so to help make sense of what's going on with the markets, I'm joined by Paul Quickenden, the Head of Corporate Development at Easy Crypto, to hear a little bit more. Kia ora, my bro. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks for the introduction, Roger. How are you there going? You go. I'm, I'm a-okay, mate. I'm a-okay. I'm over here in, you know, in the States and everything, obviously, in Silicon Valley and in uh, San Francisco is extremely tied into the, uh, you know, the tech space, the cryptoverse, all this other crazy, you know, Web3, everything. Um, so I guess the most obvious question to kick off with is uh, everything going down? Why? <laughs> is there one answer? Let's start there. Um, look, at, at, a, at a macro level, I think what we're seeing is the impact of the Federal Reserve starting to signal or, or actually starting to taper off quantitative easing, which was flooding the market with cheap money, and coupled that with the interest rates, you know, investors decided that going in, out, going out of risky assets like tech shares and, and crypto was a good idea, and it just kind of created a compounding run. And so that's, that's what's happening across the board. You're seeing, you know, all of the indices, the Nasdaq come down. Uh, you're seeing some of the tech darlings like Tesla and Amazon, you know, get absolutely smashed. Um, and Bitcoin has largely followed that kind of trajectory. In fact, it's almost exactly the same as, as those two assets at the moment. So that's kind of what's going on, uh, broadly speaking. Um, you know, everyone is just a bit jittery about what's going on. And, you know, understandably, you, there is a lot. Uh, in terms of us to digest globally with Sri Lanka, with what's going on in Ukraine, oil prices, inflation, all that sort of stuff. All that all that good stuff when you look at the global economy. And, you know, one of the things through COVID is, you know, everything, the world shut down, everything went to zero, but all, all of a sudden as well, we were looking at how everything's connected globally, you know, and a lot of people, they're seeing this and starting to sort of yeah. panic and a few people are starting to sort of sell. Do you think this is a bad move for them? Oh, look, uh, everyone's in their own unique position, Robert. And so, um, you know, the, the greatest investors in all time sort of, sort of indicate that you don't sell when everyone else is selling. Uh, but it, it really does depend on you and your risk appetite and, you know, what's going on. Um, I don't know and I couldn't couldn't honestly say if this is the bottom for the, the, the share market or crypto. There are a, a bunch of people out there that are calling it. We're seeing um, an owl particular marketplace uh you know a, a similar a similar pattern to what we were seeing the entire year where buyers are just just exceeding sales we've had days where it's obviously inverted so you know the market seems to be saying yeah that they are at, at good buy prices and and you know dollar cost averaging in or whatever their buy their buy strategy is but they are people sort of tapping into the lower prices on, on the hope that it will rebound sometime or as they say Buy the dip, buy the dip. Uh, I've got a quick question buy for those that, buy the dip, that aren't necessarily too much aware of the sort of crypto space, looking at the markets and obviously, you know, in the States here, the crypto world's been going yep. pretty massive with sponsorship everywhere. How directly correlated from your experience is kind of the regular stock market and, you know, the NASDAQ, S&P and bits and pieces versus crypto world? Are they kind of overlap? Are they sort of, you know, like, are they similar yeah. or not? Well, look, it's a great question. Um, 
So I've been in crypto long enough to know that in, back in 2017, 2018, the narrative that was we really want institutional money to come into crypto and that will, that will bolster its volumes and it will go on a new growth trajectory. And it, it appears that that has happened. And the way that um, institutional investors and funds have done that is they've treated Bitcoin as they, as they would a tech stock. And so I don't have the, the data in front of me, but I have seen some, some correlation work by Valkyrie Investments and those guys who are research has, uh, houses. And it, it is really high. It's like 90% correlated with tech stocks at the moment. And so in that, in that light, no real surprise that it's trending the same way. Um, there, there is hope that it, there was hope that Bitcoin in particular was kind of a, a safe haven asset, you know, a third asset class or fourth asset class, depending on how you hold your eyes. Um, but that doesn't appear to be the case at this point in time. When people um, don't understand, I guess, the crazy world that is that is crypto, the wild west of this unregulated bits and pieces that gets pretty nuts. But at the same time, there's a whole bunch in there. How do you best describe cryptocurrency to an average? Old mate Joe at the pub uh, that has got no idea what you're talking about. How do you how do you start that conversation? How do I do it? I, yeah. I, I talk about digital assets. I call it a, a digital asset, and and you know it's kind of the evolution. In in a way, it, it can be the evolution of money, which started out as you know pieces of silver and, and moved to paper and then became digital. And this is this is just another evolution, or it could be a store of value. It depends on the actual asset underneath, but it, it's basically digitizing value. Is how I think about it. And the, the unique thing about it is that it operates on these things called blockchains and they go 24-7. So, you know, if you're in New Zealand and you try and buy stocks outside of certain windows, the markets over there, are, uh, US stocks in particular, are shut. You know, they, they, they work sort of eight, eight hours a day. Crypto doesn't do that. It, it's globally available and it, it operates 24-7. And so, um, and it, you know, brings some, some benefits, but it also, as you've said, you know, it isn't, entirely regulated exactly the same way there is a there is a bunch of regulation in the space but it's not the same way as a stock and so you know that does mean it comes with its own quirks and volatility and that sort of stuff mm. do you eventually think that um you know governments and but you know obviously seen different places around the world start to um uh, really embrace sort of digital assets and stuff. At what point do you think, um, you know, big countries start really ad- either adopting or putting regulations around and stuff? Like, what's the solution to bring the big industrial sort of cash in? How do you see this playing out? Um, look, I think I think it's it certainly has a, a bunch of regulation around it. So I don't know if it's it's not the wild west that it used to be in 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not that anymore. Um, you know, I think. The, the thing that the big the big institutional funds are looking for is, is a Bitcoin spot ETF. There are futures ETFs at the moment, but I think they're waiting on a spot. Um, and that that's basically making something look like a square peg and they can buy it. You know, that's they can't their, their fund structures and rules don't really allow them to participate freely in the in the in the crypto market. And as soon as you present something to them that they, those funds can, then I think that'll do it. But even then, you know, a reasoned response would be to add a small allocation of crypto, you know, sort of anywhere between uh, 2 and 7% or something like that, depending on the risk profile of the fund. Um, you obviously are pretty plugged into this crypto space while, while we're at it, and I'm over here too. I'm interested in your take on Luna going from like 120 to one, oh, wow. $120 to like one cent going off the peg in there. Uh, for those that aren't a, a, aware of that specific thing, can you give a quick macro and then your take on what happened there? Because a lot of people lost a lot, a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, they did, sadly. Um, 
Look, I'll, I'll give you a, a layman's take on it because uh, there is some deep maths behind it that is beyond my understanding, but I'll, I'll give you what I can. <laughs> so um, Terra, Terra launched with a couple of coins. One was volatile called Luna and one was called a stable coin. And stable coins are, are supposed to be that, just stable. And they're normally pegged to the dollar. So, um, you know, the biggest one on the planet at the moment is USDT, Tether, um, and, you know, USDC and all that sort of stuff. So it was trucking along pretty well. It was pegged to the dollar, doing a good job, and that was going uh, gangbusters while the market was going up, and Luna was appreciating. And Luna is the volatile asset, as well as a bit of Bitcoin was sitting behind that, that that were um, the collateral for that that stable coin. Um, Then... You know, this this and this particular stablecoin is not dollar backed, so it's algorithmically backed. So there's kind of a smart contract in the background going buy and sell this, buy and sell this, redeem this, that kind of stuff. And what happened was when the market started going south, um, the algorithmic sell kind of kicked in, and it started um, selling a lot of Luna into the market, which obviously depressed the price and created a vicious circle. And then the the organisation, I'll use that term, the foundation behind um, Luna started kicking in to prop it up and they started dumping a lot of Bitcoin at the same time and effectively it created a vicious circle, kind of a, you know, a death spiral for that. And, um, and at the same time, a whole people obviously realised that, that was not great news and tried to tried to sell, which created like a classic money run type of thing you've seen in banks and other countries where, you know, the, the money's run it, that sort of stuff. And essentially, black swan, death spiral kind of event. That would be how I'd think about it. And, yeah. and you know, the, the people behind it are still trying to resurrect it, but it's, you know, it's looking tenuous at best, I guess is how I would say that. Yeah. So basically, $120 turned to one cent <laughs> in a matter of days, yeah. which is couple, couple absolutely days. insane. That, 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 Totally. Yeah, it is. And, and I really feel for the people involved in that because they thought they were investing in a stable asset. Um, and, it, and, I, and it's classic stuff that we all say to everyone who gets into investing, you know, uh, understand what you're investing in and understand um, what you can afford to lose. And uh, I've read, you know, some of the Twitter threads and it's, it's heartbreaking because there are mm-hmm. some people who didn't really follow that rules and have lost a lot. And, yep. you know, it just, it's sad. It really is. Yeah. And then on top of that too, with you know the NFT world, which you can get into a, a whole bunch. So it's definitely a, a big world. One of the things that I, I said a, a little bit ago is, you know, if you're going to step into it, do it. Do some deep digging. Do some actual research. Mm-hmm. Don't just let us, listen to some Twitter people and do some crazy stuff. And it's you know it's definitely out there. And obviously in the states is big too. But um, really appreciate yeah. your, your time uh, jumping jumping on and uh, and sharing with us today. Uh, if people want to you know check out some more, obviously you can check out Easy Crypto. Do, do a bit of digging there, um, but this world of digital assets is a, is obviously a real thing. It's going to be you know these these drawdowns happen up to eighty five percent time and time if you look at if you look at the history for it. So appreciate your time joining. Yeah. Uh, re- re- pre- thanks for the time, Paul. Legend. Appreciate it. Thanks, Robert. Mentor Sherpa Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Robert Live on Today FM. It is business in a minute time. We are trying to figure out. One simple way for you to be able to get your business better in one simple minute. That's how we're going to do it in 60 seconds. It's very simple. Here's a free tip for you for our website, which you can go to to get free designs for you, your business cards, infos, any of your social media stuff. You don't need to pay a designer $100 or $200 an hour. You don't need it. You can go to a simple website, and this is not sponsored by any way. I'm not an influencer. This is a free website which you can get to. It is called canva.com. 
C-A-N-V-A.com. Hundreds, thousands of free templates for your social media postings, for your different posters, for your sales, for your invites, for all sorts of different bits and pieces. It's an incredible way that you can set up really well-designed stuff for you and your business that costs you nothing. It's incredible. It's basically free. You can get up and do it, and it saves you thousands of dollars instead of having to navigate the crazy world of uh, designers and big expensive costs when potentially you don't necessarily need that. You want a little design up. You want some social media branding. You want to get your logo nice for your YouTube or your Facebook page, whatever it may be. That is business in a minute. One quick tip. It is called canva.com, C-A-N-V-A. I'm trying to figure out how to spell here on a Saturday. Jeez. Uh, canva.com, amazing company doing super, super well. Check it out there. That is your business in a minute to get your business going faster, better, in one simple minute. A bit more than a minute, but that's what we've got. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebette Live. Call 0800 Today FM. I love that track. That track is such a goodie. I can listen to it all day, every day. Such a banger. It is today our time, and I'm lucky enough to be joined by the bro, Karepe McDonald from Culture Flow, taking us through a quick little tip for the week. My bro, how are you? How's your Saturday? How are you, my oh, friend? Oh, good. Good to be here, Kwe. Good, thank you. Oh, yeah, get the firework, get the firework. Our line for the week, our phrase of the week is... Its literal translation is a broken pocket. So its deeper meaning is broke as heck. Not a cent to my name or not a cent to your name can be used casually in jokes with one another as to how broke we are on and paydays tomorrow. Or you can be used in formal ways to for a bit of human to lighten the mood. And I'll catch you next week. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. There you go. Broke as anything. I, in the world of entrepreneurship, I've definitely been there many times before. And anyone that goes through startup world or is out there launching the business or running businesses and bits and pieces, if you haven't hit the bottom where you've got nothing in your pockets, I don't think it's really grafting the few, uh, the, 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 the pure journey of it. So I appreciate Karepe McDonald being able to join us from Culture Flow uh, to, you know, to help us out with that. And that is today our time for this week. If you've got any feedback or suggestions, you can text me direct on 3920. Mentor Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. Righty, righty. My three cents. What we're talking about today is usually people have two cents about things. I've got three cents. Three cents I want to talk to you about today is this funny thing I've gone through in this last couple of days. So um, it just got announced yesterday, but I'm, uh, I signed a TV deal for my own show with the PGA Tour and over here in the States, which is super cool, and I get to fly back to New Zealand this week, which I'm very excited about. And one of the things I've been insanely blown away with was we were in uh, Palm Springs yesterday in a place called Indian Wells. It's a, right, it's a, a incredible um, southern, uh, southern California. It's like 35 degrees, absolutely insane. And what's really surprised me just with doing this one simple deal is this. 
the power of a brand, the power of a brand. Now, you got to understand, we're rolling into Palm Springs, and we've got a group of five of us. We're a bunch of young bucks, three Kiwis, two, two um, crew from England. We're filming. We're making a show. We're doing the, all this stuff. And what's been really interesting is when we have the logo of just the PGA Tour, the logo, rules change. It's like the seas open. Everything, all rules go out the window. It is just an absolute slather to do what you want to do it because there's power of the brand. And so many times in the past when we've tried to do different film missions or bits and pieces wherever we're on the world, it's really been very, very difficult to sometimes be able to shoot in a different place or get access to a specific property or to be able to really do anything, to create anything. And what has been insanely mind-blowing in this last couple of days with I've been um, shooting with the PGA crew is how when someone attaches a brand to something, it sets a whole new precedent. And it, it made me think about this world of, you know, we're, we're now in Laguna Beach and right near Hollywood, and this world of celebrity where your world can get so hazy with everyone being necessarily yes-men or this and that, and you get so much access to so many. Absolutely insane. So one of the things I've really just been um, thinking about a bit more behind it is going, what does your brand represent when you're a business, when, you are, uh, when you're a personal brand, when you're out and about doing whatever? When people see the brand that represents what? What are the first things they go into people's head when they think about that thing? Are they thinking you're you know, fully awesome, top-level, high-end prestige? Are they thinking, oh, this, this is a bit ghetto and it's a bit it's whack? Oh, what is the – you know, it's that, that thing of about character and reputation and these things that exist about, you know, it's not what you tell people about what you do. It's after you leave what they say about you when you're not in the room. And the power of the brand, especially in America, like we were at, uh, you know, Indian Wells yesterday in Palm Springs, it costs probably like 500 bucks in New Zealand to play one single round. It's just millionaires and billionaires and all sorts of bits and pieces. It's crazy. You put a PGA logo up and the C's part and you can do whatever you want. So for me anyway, I've just been thinking a lot about uh, my three cents for this is what is the power of the brand? What is the power of your business brand? What is the power of your personal brand? What is the power of your relationships and your networks? What doors open and how they open? And um, it, it's something which I haven't fully, fully um, clicked on, but by now able to see it in the States firsthand this last couple of days, it's something I'm going to dig into a little bit more. So my three cents for the week, the power of the brand. What's the power of yours, your business, and more? Oh, it's good to get that out of the system. This is Rebecca Live, episode 310 on Today FM. See you in a His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebecca Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Is this thing on? We're... This thing is on, and it is time for Young Bucks. What is a Young Buck, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. It's a young, up-and-coming weapon that's doing good stuff in business. They're young, they're entrepreneurial, they're getting after it. And on a place like this on my show with Rebecca Live, I think it's very important for us to be able to highlight the next generation of future leaders of this country. They're doing businesses, all sorts of pieces. So I'm very extremely stoked to be able to talk today with Lily Roberts. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so not only are you starting a new business, you're also doing a long school. So before we get to the nitty-gritty, tell me a little bit about what your company is, where you're from, and what's going on. So I'm from Wellington, New Zealand. Um, I'm currently at Scots College, and I've decided to create a platform called Clothesfine, which is designed for the buying and trading of secondhand clothing. So it's a completely digital platform. There's no physical storefronts. 
and it's a website which is compatible with any device and it's kind of an on-the-go user experience. Okay, so let's go there for a second. Uh, how did you think of not doing bricks and mortar, like actually a physical place to do it or virtual? Like where did, I've actually never heard of that and I'm intrigued of how you your, your brain process to go through this. How, how did this come about in terms of how? <laughs> What's the genesis? Where did it come from? Yeah, so basically I had an experience with a similar digital platform overseas and I noticed that it was super popular with like other people my young age um, who were also young. And I thought it would be kind of this great digital export. And I think it's something New Zealand could really profit from. And in an effort to promote our country's sustainable values, bricks and mortar, as COVID has kind of shown us, they can shut down overnight while digital businesses will continue to thrive. Okay, so how does it work? So you've got this online sort of marketplace. How does the end-to-end sort of, how, how does it roll, like, uh, practically, I guess, in terms of the operations of, of Clothesline? Yeah, so basically sellers can just list whatever items they need. Um, on the website, it's completely tailored so they can specify sort of what type of their clothing, how it's going to fit, how it's going to look. And buyers can just browse through pages of listings and contact the sellers through on-site chat connections. So communication is super easy and sellers keep 100% of the profit um, they sell the item for. So unlike secondhand clothing shops, which always take a cut of something like 50%, um, you get to keep all the profit. So basically, and then they ship the, they'll ship the item to the buyer and yeah, it's just easy. So what's the business model for Clothesvine? So if they if like, where does the money come from? How does it, how does it make cash and how will it grow? Like, how have you approached that? Yeah, so basically they make cash through a buyer protection scheme and item promotion. So buyer protection scheme is just where you take a cut of the cost of the clothing item when the buyer purchases it. Um, so like marginal cost, maybe 50 cents or something. And promotion is to increase the item's user visibility. So you pay a couple of dollars to promote it and then the company will take a percentage of that to cover the cost. Very interesting model. So, Lily, when, uh, obviously you're in the early stages of getting this business off the ground. Uh, has it been totally smooth sailing straight to the top, or has there been some bumps along the way? How's the experience been so far? Yeah, so, of course, like, you know, any new business um, entrepreneur, of course, there are going to be bumps along the way, and it's especially being young. I don't initially have the funds to required for a startup, so sourcing enough required a lot of self-promotion and trying to establish those connections in the business world, um, showing that you're trustworthy and you're reputable. So you're entering this world of kind of throat-cutting competition at such a young age. So you really need to have that persistence in place, and that's something I've really taken as a lesson. But it's also been such a great experience because there are so many people out there willing to help and encourage me, like my um, program coordinators through the Young Enterprise Scheme. So it's really amazing to have had that communal support. So let's talk about age for a second. You know, coming up in the business game, do you feel being younger, they don't take you serious? Or what are the challenges you think specifically around age in terms of the business side that's has made it a little bit trickier so far? Yeah, so I think a lot of people, there are a lot of people out there who are going to encourage that young, young entrepreneurship. 
Um, so that's really good to have that existing communal support. It's difficult when you don't have that presence and those connections already established um, in the business world because you're trying to create an image for yourself and that requires a lot of time and persistence. So what type of um, assistance do you think like would help you the most right now? If you know you were to wave the magic wand, you've got you've got your business, you're trying to roll it up, you want Clothesline to take on the world. Where would you where do you think you'd, you'd need the most help or strategically moving forward? Yeah, so I think just kind of raising awareness in general about the platform and its you know its potential for growth. Um, I'm looking to start a crowdfunding scheme soon, so it would be great to share some awareness about that. Um, yeah. In terms of the business itself, how do you do? You have any strategic little ninja moves you're thinking about of how to break into the industry? Obviously, you're saying you know it's competitive. These big players. I'm imagining they've got you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or, or millions of dollars. How have you thought about? I guess being the David taking on a little bit of Goliath when it comes to Clothesline. Yeah. So I've really considered like looking at some of the underlying systemic problems. So, you know, there are existing giants like TradeMe, like 5 million users or insane numbers like that. Um, so, But there is a lack of tailoring and promotion in that industry, and navigation isn't optimized for second hand. And, you know, that's something really specific I'm looking to kind of build a platform for. Um, you know, clothes are basically in competition with cats and cars at this stage. I mean, it's not easy for a user to find what they're after. Mm. How have you built your, your team out? Obviously, this is a, a tech player. There's obviously design and, and back-end and program involved. When you came to, I guess, approaching the team build-out to get this thing done, as a young leader, how have you navigated building the team to try and execute in such a crowded and competitive marketplace? Yeah, so I don't have a team as such. Um, I'm a, actually a sole trader, but I've had an amazing support network from Young Enterprise. So they've put me in contact with existing business owners and developers who've given me some great advice on how to get started and what opportunities to look for, uh, where to go for advice and what funding options to take. So I've really profited from that. When you look at the future of say the next two, in the next 24 months, what, where are you strategically heading with, with Clothesline, with what you want to do and how you want to do it? So in the next, say, six to eight months, I'm hoping to get a platform established and the necessary crowdfunding money to, in order to do that and hopefully promote through the use of social media and local networks um, up my usage goals. Um, so I want to have an, an established platform by this time next year, hopefully. Nice. When it comes to social media and obviously marketing and stuff, what do you think something that you know about social media or marketing that, you know, someone potentially older that's listening to this that doesn't really either is scared of social media or marketing or digital or any of that sort of stuff, what advice would you give someone older than you when it comes to, I guess, digital marketing in 2022? Yeah, so I think digital marketing is an incredible tool for really promoting business concept so there's such an amazing communal connection which exists there and social networks are really easy to generate if you just have the, the time and the skills required to use platforms like Instagram or Facebook um, really profitable uh, tools to use 
Yeah, nice. Okay, well, I'm extremely excited to see where this goes in the future. What What are the next ninety day hold hold for the business? What do you What do you, Where is all of your energy going right now? So right now, I'm looking at applying for crowdfunding and Ice House Ventures investments. Um, so angel investment schemes are something I'm going to be looking at. And yeah, just hoping to get some of that capital raised so we can get the platform off the ground. How much money do you need? Oh, <laughs> like, oh at the moment, around $30,000. Um, I've been in contact with a developer and he's given me kind of the guidance for that. So it's not the minimum viable product, but I believe that in order to create something attractive for users and that will get the user usage numbers up, um, that's about the money I need. I'll give you some advice. Ask for way more and ask for as many people as possible. <laughs> You'll be surprised how, how, um, how little 34. And don't feel bad for it. Get some good mentors around you. You've got to go in after a massive market. Get a good strategic plan on lock. And don't be afraid to definitely ask for more. If you're up against a, you know, this industry of billions and billions, you go, you go get and go after. I really appreciate your time, Lily. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Love your work. All right, it's 12.51 in Aotearoa, New Zealand. It's 5.51 here in, uh, I would say San Francisco, but I'm in LA today. I'm in Los Angeles, down Laguna Beach at Monarch Beach here doing some cool stuff. And uh hope you're enjoying the day, wherever you're at on your, on your Saturday. I heard a bit of weather's coming in there. I wish I could complain, but I can't because I'm in California. Uh, enjoy the day. I'll see you in a second. Rebet Live episode 3.11 today, FM. His goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. There we have it. Okay, it's time for Ask Rebet. This is a chance where people can text through on 3920 and ask me questions, and I answer them. They may not be right or may not be correct, but at least they're my opinion from my experiences, which I have lived, and I've done some okay things, so I know a little bit about a lot, but not too much about too much. So first question of the day came through from uh, Mark from Mill Valley, who says, uh, how can I build a pipeline of speaking engagements? There you go. It's an interesting one to come through. Uh, pipeline of speaking engagements. So um, I'd never actually sought out to, I do a whole bunch of different uh, keynotes and fun stuff. And for me, one of the best things about keynotes isn't actually me talking. <laughs> I actually like meeting a whole bunch of random people in the spot that are really deep in the industry so I can go deep into whether it's insurance or finance or whatever it may be. Because whenever you get such a massive room, um, selfishly, it's not necessarily about me speaking. I like to get there. So then afterwards, I can actually learn a whole bunch more and go really deep onto stuff. So that's just selfishly what, what I kind of like out of it. But um, how do you build a pipeline of a speaking engagement? So the best way to do it, if you're wanting to speak and you want to start to get it paid and you want to get out there in the mix, and this is only for probably you know a, a few of you out there wanting to get into the, the mix, the way to do it, and this is the way I would, if I was to start from scratch, this is how I'd do it, is I would find your topic or niche that you know a lot about. I would create short videos or potentially one longer video that gives them a, a look and a feel of what that's like. I would start releasing the small snippets of video content on places like LinkedIn, and I would upload it natively into LinkedIn, not 
embedding a YouTube clip. Because what happens when you embed the YouTube clip, the algorithm doesn't really like it as much, but if you create a native video, which basically means you upload it directly into the app itself, um, it starts to see. Then the way I do that is you start obviously talking about topics and bits and pieces. When things are topical and relevant in your industry, say if it's real estate, say if it's commercial real estate, whatever it may be, when big things are happening in the industry, have your say on that and be vocal about it. Do nice pieces of camera and then consistently be talking about it. Then what organically happens of those that are engaging or seeing your type of content, they start to realize and think, hey, this, you know, this guy, this girl knows what she's doing. Awesome. Let's maybe have a chat. They start to build the awareness around it. Then you can simply, you know, take them to a website to be able to book a, book a call or whatever it may be. But basically, if you don't have much experience, best way to do it is get out there and do it. Do a whole bunch for free. Anytime you can get opportunity to get out there and go speak to it, do it. You know, I've been speaking for many years now and I'm still getting better and I'll continue to try to get better. But compare what's, you know, where I was five years ago. Way, way better. But compared to what I can get to in the future, I'm probably still extremely average. That's why you gotta keep going. So, but the free marketing is find your niche, create a bunch of you know short content online, um, and then show them what you can actually do um, there. So that is how you can build a pipeline of speaking engagements, and that is for Mark from Mill Valley. Uh, next question comes through is from uh, Tiaki from Turangi. He said, Chirangs, I'm an 18-year-old boy from uh, Turangi trying to find my path to becoming a professional snowboarder. How do you go about it? This is very simple. If you want to be a if you want to be a professional snowboarder, get out there, learn the tricks, create the content, and put it out. There's no way you can't cheat your way through this thing if you want to be a professional snowboarder or professional anything. You need to be able to back it up, create, go, and do. The tricky bit now is everyone's getting so good, but we've got some awesome riders here. Get out there, focus on the talent, focus on the content, and focus on enjoying the ride. Coming up in the next hour, whole bunch happening. Let's go. Let's go, let's go. Hour number two of Regret Live, episode 311. Live all the way from Laguna Beach in sunny California. It is 1.02 in Aotearoa, New Zealand. It's 6.02 p.m. here in California. Coming up in hour number two, we're talking the $20 million budget. We're talking tall poppy profiles, highlighting good, awesome Kiwi companies doing great things. And a whole bunch more, including a bit of a budget breakdown with our man Brad Olson, one of the smartest brains youngest weapons that's rolling the face of Aotearoa New Zealand. We're extremely lucky to have him. He'll be on the show in a little bit too. So getting into the mix, you would have heard it before. $20 million just got set aside. Uh, this week, the government's budget announced their big budget plan, and alongside that, a huge increase in health and social spending, and along alongside that stuff, a $20 million boost for digital technologies and a whole bunch of good things that are happening in Aotearoa when it comes to tech. The $20 million is going to be spread over four years to support the growth of New Zealand's digital technology sector, as it should, one of the fastest growing sectors in New Zealand. But anyway, uh, what exactly can we do with this money? What is it used for? Or is this just a drop in the bucket in the big wide world of technology? Joining with me now is technology commentator Bill Bennett. Kia ora, my friend. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Rock and roll. So, uh, well, actually, we'll start with this. How's your Saturday going? Where are you? What's going on? Oh, with the with the twenty million. Well, you know, it's um, as you say, it's twenty million dollars. It's going to be spent over four years, which is like five million a year. Well, five million a year probably buys you a couple of houses in Auckland at the moment. So it's not it's not a huge amount of money on the on the face of it. And um, given that the um, 
the sector, the digital technology sector, which the money is going to be used to promote, turned in $4.5 billion to the New Zealand economy a year ago. So you think, if they're, if, sorry, $7.5 billion. So if they're making $7.5 billion, you think they could find their own $20 million for promoting the industry. But that's because the government's got some particular goals which are not necessarily the, goal, the goals of the companies that are, that are in that sector. Um, and what the government really wants to do is it wants to shift the economy so that we're making more of our exports, more of our living from um, from software and from digital exports, and less of it from you know shipping atoms and more of it from shipping shipping photons and um, electrons around the world. Um, and it's it's um, it's really about the software as a service sector, which is. Products like Zero um, would be the, the big New Zealand um, software as a service, but there are there are lots and lots of smaller ones. Um, and if you don't if you don't if you're not familiar with Zero, then you know you'll know Gmail. That's a software as a service. It's basically cloud-based software. So twenty million dollars to answer it basically doesn't sound like that much money when you've got seven point five billion dollars rolling out in the tech space. So it's like, hey, thanks yeah. for the twenty. But there is literally a drop in the bucket for not only how big technology is, but for especially, say, in a post-COVID uh, world or, or still dealing with, with, with COVID, when everything has gone digital, uh, you know, there are companies right now in New Zealand who are probably raising more than $20 million just to go for their Series A or B or try and get over the ditch to go public in the States or whatever it may be. But let's get back to the 20. It's like we're not we're not, we're not nudging away the 20. We're saying, hey, if, if you were government right now, Bill, where would you spend the $20 million over the next four years? Well, I'll tell you where they're spending it. Basically, the idea is to promote digital technologies coming from New Zealand in much the same way as the um, 100% pure New Zealand um, tourism campaign works you know, in, in, in history. So the idea is to brand New Zealand and to brand New Zealand as a, digi as a digital destination. And the idea is to get attention from people in your part of the world, in California, but also um, across Europe and Asia and so on. Um, and it's to, it's to put our brands in front of them, but to put our skills and so on in front of them. One of the things about the sector that's really quite important is um, over the last two or three years, there's been some really high-profile um, acquisitions of New Zealand software-as-a-service companies by larger overseas companies. And that's to, up to a point, that's actually what the industry is about. It's not, I mean, there are companies like Xero which want to be the next Microsoft or the next Amazon or, uh, um, and, and be a global player. But some of the smaller ones, for them, the game is about building up enough of a business to be able to sell it for a really, really good price and bring those dollars back to New Zealand. And that money then gets recycled into future projects. Um, Rod Drury, who is the founder of Xero, um, or one of the founders of Zero, he's, he, Zero is his third big um, software venture, and he sold his earlier ventures. And each time he sold them, he then used the money he raised from the sale to start a new one. And each sort of subsequent project was a bigger project and a bigger company. And that's what we're doing. We're kind of snowballing that money. So that that twenty million, which, as you say, is it's not much compared with the size of the sector. But it is a lot in terms of, of getting our brands in front of the world, um, of getting people to know New Zealand as a place where they can come for and look for skills and expertise and the technologies 
that they may need for their projects and so on. So obviously technology is extremely wide. It goes into you know insure tech, fintech, agri-tech, every type of martech, what every type of tech is possible with all the sort of software stuff. So in your opinion, Bill, when you look at the New Zealand ecosystem where, where you think we have the biggest disproportional upside for our talents, what do you think we're the best at when it comes to technology? Um, what we're really good at is finding is finding niches, small small little sectors, and just dominating what is you know in effect a, a very small area, but an important one. And it's often part of a puzzle. You know, it's, it's a jigsaw piece to a bigger puzzle, which is um, going to be solved by the bigger companies in the bigger countries. So, so you know, a lot of it, a lot of the businesses um, that start up here. They're very narrow in their focus, but that focus is laser sharp and they will dominate that area. And that makes them uh, you know, a very attractive proposition for people from overseas. And um, yeah, we've seen that with some really, really big um, sales of New Zealand um, um, software companies in the, in the last few years. I mean, I, I was looking at some earlier. Um, if we go back to about, about a year ago, in fact, it was, it was exactly a year ago, um, uh, a Dunedin-based company um, was sold in a, in a, in a deal um, for a hundred million dollars. You know, which is from a little place like Dunedin is, is a huge deal. And, um, and the other thing that the um, the other thing that the money is about is that getting the skill set right in New Zealand. We got the people we've got here are extraordinarily good, but we don't have anything like enough of them. I think we've got about forty thousand people. With, with the sort of digital skills that we're talking about here. And really, we probably need to get about 100,000 of them. And part of, the, part of the idea of marketing New Zealand as a place where technology is done is also attract, to attract that talent. And there is some money in there to, to do some training. But, but it's, a lot of it is about to get the bright young things from countries where it might be harder for them to get, a, um, you know, get their foot in the door to get them to come here to New Zealand and get and kickstart their careers. So if you had the $20 million to spend yourself right now and the goal was at a macro to, to push New Zealand as, as this destination of talent and tech and whatever, how would you spend that $20 million? Oh, I think I think it's I think the, the money they've got is all going to be is pretty much going to be a marketing budget. And I think that's the right strategy. I mean, I would spend Twenty million, um, as you said, it's not a lot compared with the size of the industry, but it's a huge amount to spend on marketing and, 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 and marketing the brand, and that's pretty much what I would do. I mean, we, we've got we've got most of the other things in place, but what we don't really have is enough recognition. Everyone in the um, everyone in the world now knows what New Zealand is and where it is and, and who we are, but they don't necessarily know all the things that we can do. And this is one of the things that we can do that they're not really aware of now. I mean, they, they'll, you know, depending on where you are in the world, they'll think of us as places where you get kiwi fruit or rugby players or, or whatever. But, um, um, but generally speaking, we don't have that same brand recognition with our technology. And that's what I think the money should be spent on. And it looks like it is going to be spent on. I was talking earlier on the show about um, one of the risks that New Zealand has right now in terms of now that the borders are opening, losing a bunch of the tech talent we have on, on um, that, that's in New Zealand, going overseas for way, way bigger sort of paychecks. Do you have a view on the current state of play when it comes to tech talent living and staying or leaving New Zealand? 
Yeah, I mean, in general, I mean, it, you're right, it's going to happen. I mean, we're just about opening the doors now, and it looks like there's a lot of people who are ready to go overseas. But in a lot of cases, those people who are heading off overseas, they would have gone anyway. We've got you know, some pent-up demand from the last couple of years when people couldn't travel. So, um, you know, and young, we need our young people to go out into the world and get some experience before they come, come back here and then sell to the rest of the world. So I'm not, I'm not against people leaving. The, the, the key is, is whether we can attract enough talent to come in to replace those people. And I think we can. Um, and, that, and that's one area that does need addressing. Now, there was, there was just something in the bottom of the minister's statement about this 20 million saying that they've um, arranged for 600 people to have visas to come to New Zealand. Well, that sounds good, but that's about a fifth of what we would have in, or we would have had in a normal year prior to COVID. And I think that's what we've got to do. We've got to get those numbers of people coming in, the, the tech skilled people coming in um, back to that kind of level and probably even higher. And um, but but you know part of the like I said, part of the money here is about branding New Zealand as a tech as a tech country, as a country which does this stuff. That's going to some of the people who are going to see this branding are going to be people that will want to come and work here and live here. The um, the wages thing is not such a big deal because. Salaries in this industry tend to be, you know, global. You, you pay in New Zealand what you pay someone anywhere else in the world because quite often those people can work anywhere else in the world. I mean, there are people working on New Zealand software projects around the world working remotely, and there are people in New Zealand working on projects in other countries. Um, it's, a, it's a global market with a global, you know, global pay and so on. So um, in general, that's not so much the issue as just actually getting the the, the brain power into the country and working. But it just also feels like, you know, you're talking about a $7.5 billion sector, $20 million to market it, but they're lending 600 people, and when realistically we should be trying to get, like, thousands of these massive brains yeah. coming in. It just feels like from a macro there seems to be a misalignment of intention versus execution with the current strategy for how big the market is, how big the opportunity is, what we could really be doing to try and drive this forward to make New Zealand even a better spot for it. Because um, I get obviously pretty passionate about tech and Aotearoa New Zealand and been, you know, living in Silicon Valley and seeing how it rolls here. It's, it's just the 20s are dropping the bucket and it's a trillion dollar marketplace. There's so much there for it. And I think we need to be braver and, and going for it too. So I, I'm interested for that. So last question before you go, I'm, I'm interested to ask you, how do you think the tech sector competes against the other, you know, classes of, say, fishing, forestry and farming in Aotearoa for those that aren't aware of how big this thing is? And where do you think it's going to go in the next three to five years? I think I, th I think um, let's, I'll deal with the I'll deal with the second question first. In the next few years, I would say between now and the end of the decade, um, it's going to be probably two to three times the size it is today. It's growing really fast. Um, the, the amount of money it's bringing in is growing really fast. And the, um, the number of people that we need, the number of extra people we need in that sector is about 60,000 by the end of the decade. And so that 600, as you can see, is you know, just 1% of that. And we need to be doing that. We need to. Be, we don't need to be doing 600 people a year. We need to be doing 600 people a month to get up to that the level we need by the end of the decade. How do we compare with the other sectors? Well, the the the, the margins in technology are way better than anything else. Shipping electrons and photons around the world is a lot easier than shipping logs or or, or sides of meat or 
even wool. You know, it's it's one thing to ship something, to physically ship something. It's another thing to ship it electronically. So the potential for, for technology is huge. But of course, every country is doing that. Um, and, and some of the other, there are some of the other things are things that only we can do. But there are areas where the two overlap, which are really important too. So things like what we're doing in terms of um, agritech, you know, and, and um, developing cows that don't burp and cows that are more productive, that's something else, which is that, you know, where the two the, the two sectors are not necessarily. Um, di- you know, in direct competition. There, there's, there's some complementary stuff going on as well. Mm. It gets me excited thinking about you know you talking about it's you know doubling and tripling whatever we're talking about a multi-billion-dollar class. I, you are 100% right on the margins um, that in comparison to technology businesses versus others, and you know it's, it's awesome. Like Vanessa Sorensen and the crypt Microsoft, they're going to be bringing the data centers. There's going to be a bunch more attention coming to the space. It's an absolute no-brainer from numbers perspective, and I hope we do more. But um, I really appreciate you joining us, uh, Bill, and um, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Whatever you get up to, and thanks for your time today. You're welcome. Good times, good vibes. All right, after the break, we're speaking with a business that is using everyday transactions to give back to the community. Very cool. We'll be telling you about it more. It's a tall poppy profile after the break on Rebet Live, episode 311, Today FM. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebet Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. I love this track. All win, win, win. Why do we do talk about win, win, winning? Because, you know, my, I've got a thing that New Zealand wins when New Zealanders win. And that's what the hands go up and they stay there. The point of this is to highlight a uh, cool New Zealand business doing great things. And this week for this week's Tall Poppy Profile, I am joined by Rohan McCloskey. He is the CEO and founder of Go Generosity a Kiwi business that uses everyday transactions to give back to the community. I love it. It's a prime example of Kiwi generosity. And I'm joined by... Rowan McCloskey. How are you, brother? Yeah, good, thanks. Going well. How was your Saturday? Where are you? What's bubbling away? What are you doing? So I'm currently based in Tauranga uh, with the family, just enjoying a nice relaxing day. Despite the wind and the cold, we're um, we're having a nice day. There you go. I would um, say I wish I could trade places, but I'm currently at Laguna Beach looking out across a beautiful, beautiful sun and a lovely day here. So I'll stay here for today and in the summertime we'll swap it back. All right. Tell me about this. Where did this idea come from? How did this all start? Yeah, great. So this idea started It's actually in April 2020. So we're in New Zealand. We're now level four lockdown. Um, I'm actually originally, I had three restaurants at the time here in the Bay of Plenty. And um, we were actually in a really tough situation financially. We couldn't figure out how to pay ourselves and our staff. Um, but the idea came to me. I thought, well, if I'm struggling, people in need must be struggling so much more than me. So the idea came where we thought, well, how cool would it be if our consumers, our customers could help us on this journey? So by them paying it forward and essentially donating at the point of sale, we as a restaurant took 100% of that money and we turned it into food. Um, for the charities to come and pick up from our restaurants so we could help feed people in our local communities that were doing it tough. So that's how it started. And um, now here we are, uh, well, essentially two years from the idea, uh, but a year and a half when our business, Go Generosity, was established. And um, we've got now over 80 businesses on our platform and 25 different charities around New Zealand. And um, we're helping a lot of people, which is pretty cool. 
Good on you, man. What a cool story. So talk me through practically how it works. Someone comes in, they buy. How, how do the mechanics work to sort of piece all this together? Because obviously you've got experience in hospitality. You, you're dealing with lots of different partners. Give me the give me the basics of how this thing rolls out. Great. And just a, just a, I'll give you an example in a restaurant, but just so everyone who hears knows that um, any business that has a product or service that could help meet a need, they can sign up to Go Generosity and be a part of this amazing movement that we're creating here in New Zealand. So the consumer, so the example is consumer walks into their restaurant. That restaurant is, of course, on the Go Generosity platform. The consumer pays for their food as per normal. So they go to the cashier, they pay for their food. Um, by this point, they would have seen that uh, that restaurant is a part of Go Generosity because we've got some cool little marketing collateral and different things that just sit on the tables and at the point of sale. And they simply just... Um, either via the FPOS terminal, because we have an integration with WinCave, um, or simply just by saying to the cashier that they want to top up their bill. And now they can do as little as, you know, 50 cents a dollar or as much as they want. And essentially what happens is the business holds on to that money. So the transaction goes through the books of the business. So this is actually helping local businesses at the same time. And the business holds on to that money. So one thing that's really cool um, is we don't, Go Generosity doesn't take any money. We don't take any commission on this transaction 100 percent of that money stays in the business and the business uses that money to turn it into food and then a charity simply just comes and picks up food from that local business so we're actually meeting local needs in our local communities and then what we do is we tell the stories of generosity back to the consumer so because we and we have all of the data and we know where that transaction took place and how much money went through the platform um, we can then capture those stories so for example you know, just say we've got amazing stories of a single mum, three kids, um, couldn't couldn't pay for her bills one week. She managed to get food one evening um, from a local restaurant. And so we can then tell that back. And we've got these dashboards. So if you go to gogenerosity.com, you can click on any business partner, have a look at their dashboards, and you can see how many people have paid it forward, how much food has gone out or how many products have gone out, and all the stories of generosity attached to that as well. What an awesome way, a symbiotic relationship between all that to, to make it sort of sync. And I'm, I'm guessing without COVID, you never would have thought of this, right? <laughs> oh, 100%. So it's one of those crazy ideas. Like we, it wasn't until we were on our bare bones, really, that an idea came that not only helped us as a business, but helped our local communities and helped charities get access to what they really need, which is, which is pretty awesome. Mm. And are there any types, specific types of sort of businesses or transactions that you think will work really well with us in terms of like raising funds and different bits and pieces? Like how do you, you um, yeah, like what's best? What works? What doesn't? You know, what are some insights that you see from the data? Yeah. Great. So we're, what we're finding is that as a company, we're often led by the need. So we're constantly communicating with the charities, finding exactly what they need. And I think the most obvious ones, of course, is like food, clothing, even things like haircuts and, and things like that. They're, they're probably like, you could say that food and clothing would be your most immediate needs. But then what we've found as we've developed relationships with charities, we've been able to onboard businesses like beauticians, for example. So um, women through the charities who may be going through drug rehabilitation or um, different things that they're going through in their life or just had a hard life, can actually go into a beautician and get a free facial and what they're experiencing is actually just it's changing their life you know these are things they these are experiences they wouldn't normally have so our what we're wanting to do at go generosity is we don't want people just to survive we want people to thrive 
So this isn't about saying, hey, I give someone what's left over. We want to ensure that we give people what's best. Um, but some really cool examples of that is Z Energy Bay of Plenty. Um, they're on our platform. So you can go into any um, of the Z Energy locations in the Bay of Plenty here and you can top up your bill. And that, that money is then turned into fuel vouchers. We've got, uh, for example, one of the amazing charities is Breast Cancer Research. So they've got women who they're walking the journey with who are going through chemo treatment. And they're able to give these women fuel vouchers to pay to cover the expenses of traveling to and from the hospital, um, which is making a huge difference. And often someone in that situation doesn't have an excess amount of um, money anyway. And now they're actually being able to be helped by getting access to free fuel. And we all know fuel prices incredibly high at the moment. So this is just another practical way in how we can help people. It's amazing to see such a great commercial idea linking directly into charity with enough creativity that probably makes you sleep even better at night. So it's 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 really cool to to hear, I guess, how, how you've sort of linked that all together. So so where to from here, Ryan? So you've 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 obviously got to make it bigger. Where, where to from here? What what are you planning? What are you thinking? How does this blow up and make the world an even better place? Yeah, well, we've got a mission. Like our vision is to meet the needs of 100 million people annually. So this is a global vision. This is beyond just New Zealand shores. In saying that, we're, we're not a company that wants to just go to the United States of America or go to uh, Australia and leave New Zealand behind. Like We see there's over 550,000 people that are in abject poverty here in New Zealand, and we want to make a significant difference in this country. So what we're wanting to do and what we really need is uh, we need businesses, more businesses, to sign up to Go Generosity. Um, as you can already tell, it's a win-win for every single person, for the consumer who wants to be generous, for the business receiving that money. They're obviously they're the ones holding on to the money, so it's revenue to that business. Um, and then the charity who's getting access to products and services that they previously weren't able to get access to. So everyone is winning on this platform, and so we want to see this grow throughout New Zealand. Um, we're currently expanding as a team, which is really exciting. And then our next step will to be take it offshore as well. So we want to be able to um, expand across into different countries and be led wherever the need is. And we know there's a huge amount of need in our globe at the moment. I heard 100 million and my ears popped up. What is your strategic ninja move to scale to such a level where you can have that much impact? Because I'm really interested to think how you think about these type of challenges. Yeah, well, the, the cool thing about Go Generosity is we're essentially creating a software platform that connects the businesses to the charities to be able to enable this to take place. So technology is our friend when it comes to things like this. So we essentially are working hard at building a platform that will make things scalable. So, for example, um, having Roundup, um, being able to round up on your shopping cart on e-commerce platforms, being able to pay it forward on your FPOS terminals, being able to pay it forward in your local supermarket through self-checkouts. So being able to access this anywhere digitally is incredibly important for us. And then using our software and using our platform to be able to then link the businesses and the charities together. So when we do that, it's actually quite exciting that, um, you know, it, it's a sustainable model. And, and unfortunately, and me as a business owner, when you take, when I go back to April, 2020, you know, giving to charity in the in the traditional way just wasn't sustainable for me as a business. You know, I didn't, I couldn't just keep giving money to it, um, and often it was quite hard and clunky and things like that. But through this and through Go Generosity, and when we're partnering with our customers to be generous as well, we can actually have now a significant impact 
on a regular basis. So we don't just tell the charity, oh, we can give you a donation once a year. We're now giving charity access to food every single week, um, which is actually saving them money, which is helping them meet more need in their local community. So essentially that's how we're going to scale, by using technology. Um, and we need, we need great people, we need great businesses to be on the platform. So businesses that will make a lot of sense would be large like supermarkets and big um, organisations will really help us to be able to scale this. So, you know, where there's multi-locations across the country. Um, and that's really exciting when we start looking at that and how we can expand. We, as a team, we get pretty excited on what we can do. Listening to your plans with what you're doing, how you're doing it, gets me excited for the f a better future for New Zealand, especially I love that technology gives the capability through software to be able to do this. So props to you for that. So before you go, uh, we've got to get your plug in, mate. You're doing something awesome here, so let's plug it away. If people want to support this, where can they go to? What can they do? Yeah, so people can just go to gogenerosity.com. Um, they can then see all of the businesses that are on our platform. And we are growing across New Zealand. We're now expanding into... We have expanded out of the Bay of Plenty, into the Waikato, um, obviously now into Wellington and Auckland regions as well. Uh, and then we'll be looking into the South Island. So have a look online, have a look at the businesses that are signed up and just know that those businesses on our platform are actually having a massive, they're making a huge difference in the local community. So for us, we're not the heroes really. We're the ones that just power and enable this to happen. The heroes are the charities on our platform and the businesses on our platform. And then of course the consumers that want to pay it forward. So. We would just love for people to be able to shop at those businesses, to be able to support the ones that are on our platform, because then it just means by you doing that um, and by you paying it forward, we're actually, uh, we are making New Zealand a better place. And like I said, it's completely traceable. Um, everything that we do is transparent. So you're not just giving money across the counter and wondering where it went. Uh, you can actually then go to gogenerosity.com, check out our marketplace, and you can click and see where this money has gone and what it's turned into and the stories and the lives that it's impacted. So, yeah, we would just love for New Zealanders to get behind it. And that, my friend, Rowan, is exactly why you're our tall poppy profile for the week. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much and have an awesome Saturday, my friend. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Rock and roll. All right, coming up after the break, joined by Elaine McGregor from 10 by 10 an awesome fundraising event taking place next week in Auckland, New Zealand. You're on Today FN Repeat Live episode 311. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. So you may not realise it, ladies and gentlemen, next week in Auckland, a very cool event is taking place. It's run by a group called 10 by 10 and it's an awesome concept, and I don't want to give too much away now, which is why we have, very lucky to be joined by Elena McGregor from 10 by 10 to clue us in. Kia ora, Elena, how are you? Robert, thanks for having me on today. I'm great, thank you. Let's go. How's your Saturday rolling? Where are you? What's bubbling away? Uh, I am in Auckland, um, just spending the weekend doing um, some last-minute hustle, actually, to get people along to our event oh. Thursday. There you go. You're supposed to be saying you got your feet up, you got your chamomile tea out on the side. You're excited for the rugby. You're going to do, you know, do some do some gardening, whatever it is. So let's let's jump into it. Tell us what is ten by ten by ten. So you know the face of philanthropy in New Zealand's changing. There's a more diverse 
and representative group of voices that are questioning, collaborating and reshaping the future of charitable giving. And 10 by 10 is an example of that. We are a social impact organisation creating a movement for sustainable giving and our mission is to really empower the next generation of change makers and engage them with philanthropy in a new and powerful way. So we run a model where we connect groups of young volunteers who organise Dragon's Den-inspired live crowdfunding events, and we invite grassroots charities to pitch for funds from the audience. And, you know, 10 by 10 was really created to solve two issues. The first is we know young people want to live a life of purpose and get involved in social change, but many don't have the time, knowledge or infrastructure to make a meaningful difference. So getting involved with 10 by 10 helps them to easily use their time and resource in a way that delivers impact. And the second problem we're trying to solve is that, you know, many grassroots charities in Aotearoa are doing really compelling community work, but they can lack the funding or the right support to deliver real impact at scale. And that's where we try to come in. So we identify early stage charities that are working to address complex social issues and we invite them up on our stage and have a korero and use the power of storytelling to pitch for funds from a group of people that they wouldn't necessarily have access to. So it sounds like you get a bunch of um, philanthropic weapons in a room, people get up, you do a dragon's den for charities and they pitch away. Is that essentially it in a nutshell? Pretty much. So the clues in our name, 10 by 10, so that comes from having 10 volunteers on a committee, each inviting 10 people to attend one of our events. And on average, people pledge $100 to attend. So 10 times 10 times 100 is already effectively kind of raising $10,000. On average, we actually raise about $20,000 at our events. We're always trying to raise more. Um, so what people do is they um, they pledge either $75 or $100 or $150. That doubles as their tax-deductible entry to the event. Um, the three charities come off on stage. People hear each of the three charities pitch, and then they decide where their donation goes. So it's really fun. It's really interactive. And it's just a really great experience that kind of lifts philanthropy and charitable giving beyond something that can be quite transactional into what we hope becomes kind of a lifelong, you know, passion for philanthropy and supporting charities. One of the cool things about seeing how people, um, you know, when they, they do good and they want to give back to others is sort of how they go around those things and almost this mini gamification of, 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 of bringing these different charities in and, and connecting them up in the room with the right energy, with the right people, it definitely makes a difference. So where did this where did this idea all come about, like 10 by 10? Like where did the, where did the start and, and where do you see it going? Uh, so 10 by 10 was actually started in Sydney about eight years ago by a group of young friends who were really, you know, passionate about social impact. And, you know, like me, they were kind of always doing, you know, marathons and ocean swims and always asking their friends to donate money to their courses. And, you know, it's quite easy to get to that area of fundraising fatigue where your friends and family start to turn off a little bit. So they kind of thought, what's the way that we can really engage people that we know and get them as excited about charities and social impact as we are? So they had the idea to host what was the first 10 by 10 event um, and it was really successful. It's since expanded to 14 cities around the world. Um, I attended my first 10 by 10 event when I was actually living in Sydney back in 2015 and my career, um, I work in sort of PR, event management and comms and so I could see straight away how I had the skills um, to really, um, you know, use them in a way that was that would have tangible impact. So 
I quickly put my hand up to be a, a volunteer and helped organise three events in Sydney. And when I moved back to New Zealand a few years ago, I was hugely passionate about bringing the movement here. So globally, um, 10 by 10 have raised over $4 million for over 300 early stage grassroots charities. And we're on track to uh, hit our goal of 100K this year, which is really exciting. It's super cool listening to every different, um, you know, people's story, especially when they're in this intersection between charity and community and then there's commerce layered on top of it. it. It's such an interesting dynamic when you put all those things together and just watching, I guess, the creativity of how people are, you know, setting up these different these different rooms. And I'm imagining as well for a bunch of these um, different charities, they probably just stoked to get in the actual room with decision makers that can, like, genuinely help them in their charity, but in a good way where it's a win-win-win, right? Absolutely. You know, COVID in particular has been incredibly challenging for, you know, for, for small charities trying to get funding. And, you know, ourselves, you know, while we're trying to solve, you know, that gap for charities, we ourselves as a live event model have had challenges through COVID. Um, you know, we've had to cancel events, we've had to reschedule events. The event we're having next week, actually, we had to move four times. So I must say we're incredibly excited to actually be having it next week. Um, but, yeah, for us, it's about getting these charities in a room in front of people that they wouldn't necessarily get access to otherwise. And, you know, 10 by 10 really is creating that movement among that, you know, that younger generation. So traditionally it was that Gen Z, millennial kind of demographic. But we're finding that people that are coming into along to 10 by 10 events are all ages, but really just keen to, to make a difference and you know like I said for us it's around lifting um, charitable giving beyond something that's quite transactional you know people come to our events they, they see firsthand and hear firsthand you know the challenges and the opportunities and the amazing mahi that these charities are doing in their community and they walk away so inspired that you know it's not just about making that monetary donation on the night it's about forming those long-term connections with those charities. So, you know, all the charities that are involved with 10 by 10 walk away with uh, volunteers, additional kind of long-term relationships, whether that's through additional funding or kind of in-kind support. So we also, we like to think we operate as a bit of a marketplace. So, you know, we get our charities to also stand up in front of our audience and say, you know, what are the kinds of non-monetary support that you need? are there some skills in the audience that you could tap into that would be really beneficial? So there could be a charity that says, you know, we need help with a social media strategy or, or we need someone to help build a, a new website. And you know, our gold standard is being able to connect them to those skills in the room. It's awesome. I, I get stoked hearing, like, good things with good people doing good things to help other good people. It's great. So you've shifted this event four times. It sounds like it's been a logistical nightmare. So before you go, when is the event next week? How can people get involved? If they want to support 10 by 10, what can they do and where can they go? Oh, that is a great question. So our event is next Thursday, the 26th of May at the Grid Auckland. Now the Grid at Pakenham Street, there's a few in Auckland. Uh, starts at six. Um, we're supporting three charities. So, you know, we are living in a mental health crisis at the moment. So our committee was really passionate about selecting three charities that are supporting the mental wellbeing of our kiddo as young people. So our three charities are Big Brothers Big Sisters Auckland, Kenzie's Gift and the Kindness Institute. If people would like to come along to the event, they just need to visit our website, which is 10by10give.com. So that's 10, the numeral, and X. 
10give.com. So they can choose to pledge um, to attend the event or they can make a donation if they like. Um, we're also always looking for volunteers. So that's how we remain sustainable. So it goes back to my point around not reaching out to the same people over and over again. So we need to be sustainable and, and bringing new people into our 10 by 10 community all the time. So they can sign up to be a volunteer either by coming along to our event or at the website. And, you know, we're always looking for support as well. We run our events on no cost. So everything is donated, which means that as much of the money as possible goes to charity. So, you know, venues, food and beverage, um, all of those things we're always looking for. And, you know, what would what would love is um, corporate match funding. So if anyone's listening today is really inspired by our co-papa and would like to get involved, I'd love to hear from them. Very cool. Well, Elena, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck with the event next week, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your um, Saturday and weekend hustling away to make this one of the best ones yet. So, also, well well done and good on you. Thanks so much, Robert. Much well. Awesome. So, Elena McGregor from 10x10, 10 10, uh, 10x10give.com. So, it's 10, the numerals, X, 10, give.com. Coming up after the break, we'll have a look, another look at this week's budget announcement from one of these biggest brains in New Zealand. His name is Brad Olson from Infometrics, and he's coming up. It is 1.45 in Aotearoa, New Zealand, 6.45 here in Laguna Beach, California, IA. Repeat Live episode 310 on today's theme. His goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Did I just hear an advert for <laughs> trolling Mark Richardson for being bald? Oh, at least he's got here. I'm full bored. I, I, oh, mate. Anyway, I, I'm, I digress. Sorry, team. My, my brain's gone in, in weird places. <laughs> I just thought it was really funny. He's just getting trolled from being bald. Uh, anyway, let's jump quickly from male boarding hair loss to let's talk about the government budget. Uh, it's been a big week financially in Aotearoa, New Zealand, with the government's uh, announcement in its new budget. There's always winners. There's always losers. And to break it all down with me, I'm joined by Brad Olson from Infometrics. As I've said before, one of the biggest, youngest, biggest, massivest brains in Aotearoa that can break down. How are you, brother? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am cruising. Hey, so we'll jump straight into it. Uh, you've had a chance to look through all this data. I'm sure you've had your spreadsheets out and your 12 different mega screens in front of you. Who are the big winners this week, Mr. Olsen? I think probably the big one is uh, from the budget. Looking forward is, is probably New Zealand as a whole. We've got some very good long-term stuff coming forward. We're trying to get the health system into a better position, literal billions of dollars being poured into that. Uh, some more infrastructure as well, so we're going to be rebuilding Whangarei Hospital, uh, Nelson Hospital, but also um, Hillmorton down in Canterbury. So a lot into that healthcare sector, uh, education, getting a bit of money as well. We've seen a lot around, announced around uh, the likes of the um, climate uh, response as well. We know there's a huge amount of work to be done there. Now, it's perhaps surprising I haven't already mentioned the cost of living payment because I think some people will look at that and call it a big win. But realistically, I'm a bit worried that $27 a week for three months uh, until the end of October could well leave, uh, leave New Zealand as going cold turkey uh, for the rest of the next few years as we do have very high inflation. We're expecting it to keep up. So I, I think at the end of the day, we've got some very good long-term uh, focuses from this budget, but the short term is still very, very uneven, a really difficult pathway for the government to have to navigate when just everything costs so much at the moment. 
Mm. Well, obviously, the inflation thing, we're lucky enough each week to get uh, Paul Conway on the show, um, the a new chief economist from the Reserve Bank in New Zealand. And as we start to navigate these waters, some of these things are bits that we're going to be bringing up to him. So, you know, you're talking about some of the potential losers in this. When you look at this, Brad, who do you think are the biggest losers from this budget? I think, I mean, one of the biggest losers still, um, and it's been the same over a number of years, is I think people who want to buy a house, there's still a really difficult position uh, going forward. Now, the government did do some work to try and alleviate those pressures again in this week's budget. They lifted uh, the first home grant caps, uh, so now you, you can buy a more expensive home. Um, they lifted those caps by over $100,000, uh, which probably, in, in my mind, doesn't really reflect helping a lot more people into housing. It just reflects how stupid house prices are. Um, but at the same time, time we had new forecasts from the Treasury um, suggesting that looking forward you know at a maximum you might have a seven percent fall in house prices but and this is the big one house prices at their lowest over the next few years are likely to still be 32 percent higher than pre-pandemic times uh, which is you know at the same time as wages have gone up I think 18 percent so the disconnect is, is incredible and again I think you know low-income households are still really going to be feeling it 27 dollars a week is important and, and certainly uh, will be happily received but by our estimates, you know, household costs have gone up 70 to to $100 a week over the last year. So the government in a really tricky position. If it goes too much further with those payments, it's probably going to make inflation even worse. If it doesn't do anything, it just looks like it's mean. Hmm. Lucky that there's people that get paid a lot more than us to try and figure these things out. Because when I'm looking at it, it something doesn't seem to add up in the mess. It's one that's kind of out, out racing the other. So it, when, you, what, when you first saw this pop out, what was your initial reaction at a macro? You were like, yay, or you were like, meh, or you were like, boo. <laughs> I think, to be honest with you, um, with this budget, look, and, and we've gone to quite a few, right? I've gone to every single one since 2016. Um, this one was probably the most scattergun that I'd seen. And I say that because normally there's a really uh, easy way with each budget. There's always one, like, absolute top-tier uh, announcement, and then there's a sort of few focus areas below that and a bunch of, of smaller announcements. This one had a lot going on. There was this really big focus on the health uh, reforms and the health reset. There was, of course, this, this short-term focus, a billion dollars being put towards the cost of living over the very, very short term um, of the next few months. There's a lot around the climate. There's a lot around building for the future. Um, but I guess what I, I didn't see there is, is how we can continue to, to sort of move uh, New Zealand people forward. Because at the end of the day, you know, you look at health care reforms I mentioned over $3 billion invested there. That's great. We can have a gold-plated healthcare system, but if we don't have the people to staff it, if we're not paying the nurses and the teachers and similar enough, that becomes really difficult. So I would have liked to have seen more development there. But the, 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 I guess um, the gold standard piece that you did see the government committing to further support um, for apprenticeships and similar through the boost scheme, that's great because we know we've got to get people with that sort of thinking to move forward to train up um, further workers, but also to think more about where are those investments that we're going to be making. So um, the sort of collaborative investment model the government's looking to take with private banks to get Kiwi, small Kiwi businesses a bit more money so they can develop and grow. That's some great long-term stuff. It's just going to be very difficult to do a lot more in the next few years. You brought up an interesting point to even just talk about nursing and healthcare. You know, like my, my wife is a nurse. She was a nurse at uh, Starship. And I think like the, the starting nurse salary for them was like something like, I think it's like $47,000 or something straight to the top in the States for the exact same thing. $180,000. It's absolutely massive. So before we finally um, wrap up and get out of here, if you were in charge in one quick minute, what would you have done with all that budget? How would you have done it different? 
look, I think one of the major announcements should have very much been those, those pay parity deals, um, making sure that there's, there's a deal on the table to be had with the nurses at the moment. Get that over the line immediately. Um, make a real clear signal that, that the government is willing to back people to stick around because we had Treasury also forecast what the rest of us were already seeing, and that's a brain drain of talent out of the country. And I just don't know if we've got a convincing argument at the moment for a young person to stick around in Aotearoa. If we give them that commitment, if we say that there is some money on the table, we will back Kiwis to stick around and, and to do that work. That would have sent a really clear signal. That's, I think, where we could have done more. I can't wait for the day you potentially go for Prime Minister. I'll be voting for you. You're a smart man, my friend. I, I absolutely love it. Appreciate your time, Brad, as always. Hope you're well, and I'll be seeing you soon, brother. Brilliant. Thanks for having me on. Absolute champ. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Brad Olsen from Infometrics, one of the biggest brands in Aotearoa, and just a really good insight and macro view of all of these things. Almost wrapping up the hour. 1.55 in Aotearoa, New Zealand. 6.55 here in San Francisco. And we will be seeing you in a second. Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebecca Live. On Today FM. As we come to the end of Rebecca Live episode 310 on Today FM, I want to say thank you to Bryn for making the world turn around in terms of the technology. I want to thank you to Brad and team and everyone else for making today happen. We've had some technical things wrong the way because I'm half around the world. What do you expect? So first thing I've learned today, what have we learned this week? One, calm and centre. Breathe. Always figure out there's going to be a game plan. Don't stress too much. Life's short. Enjoy it. Number two, I love hearing more Kiwis that are going so hard to help more Kiwis. It's so good and we need more of it. And I will continue to push it and I will continue to promote it because I genuinely, genuinely give a shit about Aotearoa New Zealand. Number three, the world of tech is real. The world of tech is happening. We've had million dollar exits. We've had billion dollar companies built. We do not want to miss the boat with the upside of what it can do. And where I'm going, I'm off to Las Vegas team, packing my bags, about to walk out the door, and I'm off to Vegas, baby. Enjoy the weekend, whatever you're up to. 6.59, about to head off. Thanks to all the team at um, Today FM. You guys rock. Much love, Aotearoa. See you soon.